This is Daf Kafvav in Masechet Rosh Hashanah. We are beginning on Kafhei Amud Bet, one line, the very last line of the Amud. The Gemara had previously spoken about a case in which the Bet Din witnesses the new moon, and then members of the Bet Din have to become witnesses in the uh, testimony, providing the testimony for the sanctification of the new month. So the Gemara says, That implies that a witness can become a Dayan. Meaning to say that somebody witnessed the event can then become a judge in a court about that same event because the members of the court who are going to now testify are testifying in front of their colleagues who also saw the new moon and yet are judging the case. So, that seems to contradict what Rabbi Akiva says because the Tanya Sanhedrin that it says in the Brayta that if a Sanhedrin, if the court saw somebody kill someone, so so part of the group becomes witnesses and part of them serves as judges. This what Rabbi Tarfon says. So if the entire Bedin witnessed a murder, basically some of them become witnesses in the case and they testify to those who also saw it but are now serving as judges. And perhaps they have to add additional uh, colleagues to make a full Bedin, whatever the case may be. But Rabbi Akiva Omer, once the court has seen the crime committed, they all become Edim in Edna Sadayat. And a witness cannot then become a judge. So if you've already been a witness, even if you didn't intend to be a witness and to give testimony, you can now not be a judge anymore. So that should be the same here, that since the Din saw the new moon, they should not be able to now take some members of that Din who are going to testify about the new moon in front of their colleagues. So they can, and, and some of them, and the rest of the colleagues who also, in other words, and some of the Din members who saw the moon as well are going to serve as judges listening to the testimony, according to Rabbi Akiva, that shouldn't work. So it says, Even Rabbi Akiva might agree that sanctifying the new moon is different. Why? Because over there, Rabbi Akiva is only talking about capital cases of crimes. Because there's a rule that the Torah tells us that the community must judge the murderer and they also have to save him. In other words, they have to provide him some kind of a defense, some kind of an attempt to exonerate him so he won't be executed. And once this court has witnessed the murder themselves, they can no longer be objective in trying to find some uh, exonerating case for the defendant. So therefore, they can't serve as judges. But but when it comes to seeing the new moon, where there's no uh, capital punishment involved, there's nothing like that involved. So therefore, somebody who witnessed something can still serve as a judge and hear testimony from others who witnessed it together with him. And that is the conclusion of the Gemara, that, that uh, somebody who saw the new moon could also be a judge, as long as he's not the one giving the testimony and receiving the testimony at the same time. But the fact that he witnessed it does not disqualify him as a judge, as opposed to in capital cases where, according to Rabbi Akiva, it does indeed um, disqualify him. Now, the Mishnah says, Kol All shofarot are kasher for Rosh Hashanah, except for the horn of a cow, which means, of course, the horn of a bull, not of an actual female cow, because they don't have uh, horns, but of the bull. Because it's a keren, it is a horn and not a shofar. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, But all shofarot are called keren. Because it says, when the keren ayovel, when the horn of the ram will be blown, and this is a pasuk that is referring to the uh, capture of Jericho in Sefer Yahushua. It calls the horn of the ram the keren ayovel, even though that's definitely a shofar, because a ram's horn is for sure a shofar, but it's called a keren. So Rabbi Yosef says, how can you say that the fact that a bull's horn is called a keren means that it, it be, and not a shofar shows that it can't be used as a shofar? We see that... Uh, that uh, that a uh, that anything that's called the shofar could also be called the karen. 
So Shapir Kamar Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi actually has a good comeback here. Shapir Kamar Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi's point is well taken. That a shofar could be called a keren, right? Uh, and therefore, um, therefore, just because a bull's horn is called a keren doesn't mean it can also be a shofar. So the Gemara says, The rabbis will say, you know what? Everything that is a shofar is called a shofar. It could also be called a keren. But the difference is that a cow, meaning a bull's horn, is never called a shofar. It's only called a keren. That when it speaks about the, uh, that's the blessing that was given to Yosef. The first, that he's a, like a firstborn ox. His horns are like the horns of a wild ox. That is a, uh, that it shows you that it's called keren. It's never called shofar. The horn of a bull is never called the shofar. It's only called the keren. So in other words, according to the Chachamim, they would say that all shofarot are also called keren, but not everything called keren is called shofar. Keren is a more general category. Not everything that's in the category of keren is necessarily in the category of shofar. Whereas Rabbi Yossi says, something being called keren does not disqualify it from being a shofar. The words can be used interchangeably, according to Rabbi Yossi. The Gemara says, Rabbi Yossi amar lach shofar. Even a cow's horn, a bull's horn, is called a shofar. When it speaks about it, David Melech is asking for his prayer to be accepted by Yeshem like shofar, like an ox, a bull. So the question is, these are really the same thing. Why does it use both terms of shor and par? Really, a par is the older one. It's the one that's reached three years of age. So why does it say a shor and a par? What does it mean, shor par? It means mishofar. You combine the two words and you get the word shofar. In other words, that means that even though it's talking about the, a shor and a par, it's talking about bull, and it's saying, uh, and Rashi explains that on the day that it was created, um, that it's, uh, uh, the Gemara will explain in a moment, Shor Par, what's the concept? The Shor could be any age, and the Par refers to the older age of the, uh, of the bull, but the point is it's called Shofar. We interpret it midrashically that Shor Par means Shofar, that my prayer should be as good before Hashem as the sound of the Shofar. So you see that the, uh, that re- reference to a bull and reference to a Shofar is not contradictory. The horn of the bull can also be called a Shofar, and therefore, um, just because it's called Karen in some place doesn't mean it's disqualified from being a Shofar. Now the Gemara says, then the rabbis disagree and say it's like Rav Matana, Rav Matana, my Shopar, Shu Kadol Kapar. It doesn't mean that the Shopar uh, doesn't mean Shofar, and saying that the horn of the bull is considered like a um, the horn of a, uh, of a like a ram's horn, and that's considered a Shofar. Ella Shu Gadol Kapar. It means that it, that when Hashem created all of his um, all of his creations, the creatures were created. At their full size, and that means that Adam Arishon, which is being referred to in the pasuk, that he brought an offering of a shofar, he brought the offering of a an ox that was born in its full size, mishor something that was born as a shor, but really was the size of a par, was already fully fully grown when it was created by Yeshev, and that was the offering that Adam Arishon brought, and that's why it says mishor par that it's talking about a particular par, it's talking about a shor that was as big as a par on the day that it was born, um, because it was the one of Adam Arishon but not that the horn of a bull is called a shofar. That is not true. Now the Gemara goes on and says, This is the real reasoning of the rabbi. It's nothing to do with Karen necessarily, but this is the reasoning. Because, Why doesn't the Kohen Gadol, Estrav Chizda, go into the, into the Kodesh Kodeshim wearing the golden clothing that he wears other days, to serve? Because we don't allow the accuser to become the defender. In other words, what it means to say, 
is that the gold is reminiscent of the Cheta Egel, the golden calf episode, and therefore we don't want to bring the gold into the Kodesh Kodeshim on Yom Kippur when we're being judged by Yeshem. What about the fact that we actually offer a bull on Yom Kippur and we take the blood and bring it into the Kodesh Kodeshim? Since it changed, it changed. In other words, to bring something which is the actual cow or to bring the gold into the Kodesh Kodeshim wouldn't be okay, but the blood isn't, is already changed form from the original bull, so it's okay to bring it in. What about the fact that you have the Aron and the covering of the Aron? And you have the angels, the top of the Aron, which is the Kruv, the angel-shaped, um, uh, covering of the uh, of the Aron, they're all made of gold. So how can you say we don't bring gold into the Beit uh, It says Chote Bal Yakiv What we mean is that you shouldn't bring in gold into the Kodesh Hakodeshim. You shouldn't bring some. Since you're a sinner, you shouldn't bring something that reminds Hashem, so to speak, or that demonstrates your sinfulness, such as the gold. So that's referring to Chote shouldn't bring it in. But if it's already sitting there, like the Aron and the Kaporet, the cover of the Aron and so on, that was there already. What about the golden spoon and fire pan that the Kohen Gadol brings in? You're right, he does bring that in, but it, it's not a beautification of the Kohen Gadol. It's not something that is adorning the Kohen Gadol that he's using. It's something that he's carrying into there, so it's okay. What about the Migdei Zav that he wears the rest of Yom Kippur when he does the Avodah that's outside the Kodesh Kodeshim? We're talking about going into the Kodesh Kodeshim. Okay, so now we're basically saying that the three qualifications that prohibit gold are that it's brought in, that it's an adornment, and that it's brought in to the Kodesh Kodeshim. So then shofar nami So then that doesn't include shofar. So why should shofar be under the same ruler of Chizda is saying about Yom Kippur that we don't bring gold adornments into the Kodesh Kodeshim on Yom Kippur? Well, the shofar is also outside of the Beit HaMikdash. It's out of the Beit HaMikdash altogether. But since it is to bring our memory, to bring us before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to bring our zikaron, our remembrance before HaKadosh Baruch Hu on, on the day of Rosh Hashanah, it's like going into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, and therefore it is something that has to not be associated with any sin of the Jewish people of the past, such as the golden calf, and therefore it can't be from a cow. Now, doesn't the Tana of the Mishnah say that the reason why we don't use the horn of a bull is because it's called Karen? Not because of anything having to do with Egel Azav. So, really, there's two reasons. First of all, because you can't take something that's reminiscent of a cute, that accuses us, that indicts us, such as something that reminds, uh, uh, is reminiscent of the Chet uh, HaEgel, and then make it into our defense. We can't do that. Ve'od, and moreover, because it's a Kerem, because it's a solid horn. Basically, the Farshim explained that it's a solid horn as opposed to the ram's horn that has a, that has, um, material like cartilage stuffed inside, but it's, it's not all bone. It's not a solid bone. It has, uh, you, it can be hollowed out easily, the shofar. But a keren means that it's a solid bone, um, type of a horn. That's what the bull's horn is, and that's why it's called keren. Rabbi Yossi, Amarlach, what Rabbi Yossi say? The Kamrat in Kadogonasa Sanigorani Milimim Vahai Shofar Mibachot. So, first of all, Rabbi Yossi will say, the idea that you're saying, I don't necessarily disagree, that you shouldn't bring something into the Kodesh Kodeshim that is reminiscent of a sin that the Jewish people have done, but the shofar is done outside, so it's okay. The Kamrat. And the fact that you're pointing out that it's called the Keren and not a Shofar, I have no problem with that because all all uh, uh, Shofarot are also called Keren, so therefore he's going to dispute both of those points and he's going to say it's okay to use a Shofar from a cow. Now, Tosafot points out that the Shofar also is like a type of Mitna'e, it's a type of beautifying and adornment because the sound of the Shofar is a type of a, uh, an adornment for us. It beautifies us. It's supposed to, uh, it's supposed to be a, uh, 
a beautification and an adornment of the Jewish people, the sound of the shofar. Um, Rashi says that he, he doesn't seem to go exactly to that level because he says that Rashi says no, that once we come out onto the idea that the shofar is similar to coming into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, um, before Hashem, it's, we don't need the idea that it has to be something you're beautifying yourself with and so on. All of that related to the golden clothing of the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur. But the Rosh Hashanah, since it's bringing our Zikron before Hashem, it overrides all of those, uh, all of those conditions. It doesn't have to be something that beautifies. It doesn't have to be something that's brought into the Kodesh Kodeshim. It just is what it is. According to Tosafot, it still has that beautification element because the melody of the Shofar is a type of a making us uh, more acceptable before Hashem. In any case, that's, that's two answers so far. We have the answer that's tim- simply taking the Mishnah at face value that the Machloket between Rabbi Yossi and the Chachamim is whether the horn of a cow can be used since it is called Keren in the Torah. And the second answer is adding that it's because um, you're not so, because it's reminiscent of Egel Azav. Now, there's another reason the rabbis have here. The shofar, that the Torah says you can use one shofar, not two or three shofar. And since the horn of a bull grows in layers, it's actually layers on top of layers. Each year it adds another layer, another layer. So therefore, it's a layered thing. It's like multiple shofarot. That's why you can't use it. Doesn't the Mishnah say that the reason why the rabbis prohibit the use of a bull's horn is because it's called keren, not because it's made of layers. So I'm, uh, the answer is no. Really, there's two reasons. First of all, because it has to be one shofar and not one that's made in layers. And furthermore, because it's called keren and not shofar. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi will tell you that first of all, I'll tell you that the idea that it's like multiple shofarot is silly because it's just one shofar, it's just made in layers. It's one shofar. And what you said, because it's called the Karen, everything's called the Karen, that's a shofar. It's not, it, the, the words are interchangeable according to Rabbi Yossi. So you have three basic reasons. One is just that it's based on the Karen issue, that the, the fact that the Torah calls, it doesn't call a bull's horn a Karen, or it's, uh, so therefore the question is whether um, it qualifies as a, I'm sorry, since it calls it a Karen, the question is whether it qualifies as a shofar or not. That's question, that's issue number one. Number two is that it's reminiscent of the Egel Azad. Number three is that since it grows in layers, it's like multiple shofarot. Those are the three answers that brought forward. Now, my nishnat how do you know that in the Pasuk when it says, the horn of the Yovel, it's talking about a ram. I said when I went to Arabia, they would call the uh, the male sheep, meaning the ram, Yovla. So that's where we got it from. When I went to Galia, they would call the woman in Nida a Galmuda. My Galmuda, Gimula Dami Balad, means that she is separated from her husband. And so they called her Galmuda. Galmuda also just means, in biblical Hebrew, sometimes somebody who is uh, abandoned or who is alone. When I went to Africa, they called the coin Ma'a Aksita. The Ma'inafkami. Now, what's the difference about that? Why do we have to know that? Because the Farusheh Me'aksita, they're right there because we want to know what it means when it says that Yaakov purchased the city in which he lived for Me'aksita. We want to know how much that is. Right? Me'adanke. It means to say um, 100 Me'a. It's the same as uh, the coin of Ma'a, which is also called Danke. Then that's how we know what the value is that he paid 
for that property. It's to explain that pasuk. Rabbi, Rabbi said, when I went to the cities by the sea, they called a sale a kira instead of mechira. That helps us to understand what it means, that I, we would think that it means I dug this, uh, that what, um, what he means in the pasuk, what, uh, what uh, Yaakov Avinu means in the pasuk, it, well, well, Yaakov Avinu told Yosef to bury him in Marat HaMachpelah, and he says, that I, uh, now, the, usually the shot of it is that I, that Yaakov said to, to Yosef, I want to be buried in the place that I dug for myself. But he's saying, no, Kariti means I bought. Okay, so that would suggest that actually the word Kariti means Mechirat, means that, uh, means, means purchase, or means um, acquisition, and it's a reference to the fact that it was bought by uh by actually by Avraham Avinu and um but that's where he wanted to be buried uh where Yaakov wanted to be buried and he had Yosef bring him there to be buried right so and and that's why we need to know what the word kira means that kariti means sold or bought when I came to this place called the uh, the border of Kanashraya they called a new bride a ninfei. They called it a chicken, a sechvi. The kala ninfei, what does it mean to call a kala ninfei? What, what benefit is that? Right? What does that help us understand? Yefe nof, because it says yefe nof, that it is um, as beautiful as uh, it's talking about Yerushalayim. Um, you know, it's talking about uh, the city of Jerusalem. And it says yefe nof. It, whatever Yefenov means, it's interpreting it as, as beautiful as a bride, the joy of all the world. What's the significance of saying that a chicken is called Sechvi? It was Rabbi Yosho ben Levi. Some say it was Rabbi Yosho ben Levi, some say it was Rabbi Yudah in the name of Rav. Then Mike Ra. And what does the Pasuk mean when it speaks in, uh, in uh, Yov and says, Mishat Batuchot Chuchma? Who put in the inner realms wisdom? Who gave understanding to the Sechvi? Okay, so Misha Batuchot Chokma Elukleot. What does it mean? Who put in the innermost places wisdom? That's talking about your kidneys. In other words, that Hashem gave us an intuitive wisdom inside of us. Now, what does it mean? Who gave the Sechvi understanding? Zetanagol. It's talking about the rooster who crows in the morning at, or Kakadudul uh, Dus in the morning and lets everyone know what to wake up. That's the type of understanding that the Tanagol has. Um, Levi came to a certain place. A certain person came in front of him. Amale said to him, "Kivaan planya." So and so kivaan did kivaat to me. Whatever that is, and Rashi says it means gazlani ploni. So a person robbed him, but but Levi didn't know what it meant. He didn't understand what that meant, what kiva'ani means. He came to the Beit Midrash. Well, they said to him, Gazlan Amalecha. He's talking about a gazlan that somebody robbed him. Because it says, could a person steal from God? And that's a pasuk that's talking about the failure to bring the Tuman Maaser in Malachi. That they weren't bringing the Tuman Maaser. It's like stealing from Hashem by not giving the gifts that the halacha remind, re- requires of us. Rav from Barnish said to Rav If I had been there, why did Levi just come in the Beit Midrash? And ask what it means kiva'an bloni that so and so kivad me why did he do that why didn't he, I wouldn't have gone into the Beit Midrash I would have asked the guy questions I would have said 
I would have said, uh, How did he kivat you? With what or in what way did he kivat you? And why did he do it? And through those questions, I would have figured out what kivat means because I would have asked him enough roundabout questions that he would reveal to me what he was referring to and I would have realized that the guy got robbed. But what did Levi think? He thought it was some kind of prohibited action that the person did, not that it was a, uh, not that it was uh, something that was done like a ben adam that somebody victimized him. And since he thought it was something about isur, some prohibited action that the person did, he didn't think that those questions, that kind of line of questioning, really made sense. It only made makes sense if you know that it's referring to something ben adam which he didn't know. The rabbis didn't know my serugin, what the word serugin means that, that appears in several places in the Mishnayot and Braithot. One day they heard the maidservant of Rabbi saying, She saw the rabbis were coming in, they were coming in a couple at a time instead of everyone coming in together. She said that. How, how long are you going to come serugin, serugin? In other words, you're coming in shifts instead of everybody coming at once. Get in the house already. Right? Uh, again. Uh, they didn't know what Chalog Logot was. Everyone heard, one day they heard the maid servant of Rabbi, the Chazit Lahu Gavra. She saw a certain person. He was um, planting his parpachine. He was going around and he was uh, uh, putting the seeds. And she said to him, she said, uh, when she saw that, Amale Ad how long are you going to spread out your chaloglogot? Which is exa- so they knew that it meant that certain plant or spice that was familiar to them. The, the rabbis didn't know what the pasuk means when it says you should salsel the Torah, whatever that means. Salsalea uh, otoromemeka. They know what salsalea means, uh, and the, the Torah will uplift you, will raise you up if you're salsalea, if you are salsela. But we don't know what salsela is. So Yomachad Shemuah la lam tadbei Rabbi. One day they heard the maid servant of Rabbi, the Havat Amat Lahu Gavra. She was saying somebody Dabakam Apech Basari who was like was like uh, playing with his hair a lot, fixing his hair a lot. Amalei she said Ad Matayatam Misalsel Basarecha. How long are you going to misalsel your hair? In other words, it means to uh, be playing around with it, turning it around, just like you have to turn around and seek. In other words, when it comes to Torah, you have to dig and dig and dig and and search. And go through a lot to find the truth. So too with the person's hair, they were digging and digging and moving it around. So that's what salsalam means. It means that you have to really search out the Torah and really go in depth in it if it's going to uh, if it's going to lift you up. And also having yomachad One day they heard that the. Oh, I'm sorry, I went back one. The rabbis didn't know the meaning of the pasuk from Yeshayahu that says. He will sweep you with the sweeping of destruction. They didn't know what what meant. That she was saying to her, her the the maid servant of Rabbi was saying to her friend, She said to her, take the matate, uh, take the broom. And sweep the house out. So they learned from that what matate was, because they heard her use that term to refer to it. And then again, lo havu my hashlech al Hashem, that they didn't know what it meant to place on Hashem yehavicha, place on Hashem your burden. 
Okay, they didn't know what that meant. Oh, and he's going to take care of you and he's going to sustain, sustain you. They didn't know what you have meant. So, Yom Achad, Hava Azilina, Bahadei Haotaya. They had, they were, uh, once going with a certain Arab merchant. And this Taya, Hava Darina Tuna, right? He was like, and Vamarli, Shekol Yavech, Veshadea Gamlai. So, um, so the point was that Rabbah Babachana said that one day he was, uh, he was traveling. That Rabbi Hanan said, "Yom Achad Hava Azilna Bahadeu Taya." He was traveling with somebody, and I was carrying Hava Darina Tuna, and I was carrying a load. Vamali said to me, "Shekol Yavech Veshadeya Gamlai," and he said to me, "Give me your burden, and I'll put it on my camels." In other words, you see from this that Yahav means a burden. The next Mishnah: Shofar Shel Rosh Hashanah Shel Yael Pashut Opiv Mitzubezav. The Shofar that's used in Rosh Hashanah should be of a Yael, a stern buck, I think it's called, some kind of a wild goat. Um, straight, and its mouth can be covered with gold. And they would have two, uh, uh, we're gonna see it, this is only in the Beit HaMikdash, but they had two trumpets on either, a trumpet on either side. They would have a short accompaniment with the, uh, trumpets, and the trumpets would fade out, and the shofar would continue longer. Because since the mitzvah of the day is shofar, we want to extend it more. On the fast days, then they would use the ram horn that is curved, and then they would cover the mouth of it with silver instead of gold, and they would have, instead of on the sides having uh, trumpets, they would have the trumpets in the middle, then they would, the shofar would be shorter, and the chatzotrot would be longer. Okay? And, uh, because the mitzvah of the day then is actually the uh, trumpet. So they would want the trumpets in the middle, shofarot on either side, it seems like, and they would, and the trumpets would go longer than the shofar. But the shofar in that case has to be a ram's horn and not the straight horn. Not the straight horn. Shava Yovel Rosh Hashanah, the Tkiah, the Bachot. The Yovel, the Yom Kippur of the Yovel is the same as Rosh Hashanah with respect to the Tkiot of the shofar that have to take place on that Yom Kippur and also the Bachot of the Musaf that are said in Yom Kippur too. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rosh Hashanah Tkim Shal Zacharim, Ubayovrim Shal Yelim. He said on Rosh Hashanah they should blow the shofar with the Zacharim, with the ram's horn that's curved. That's unlike the, the Tanakh Kamad that said it should be a straight horn. And on Yovlot, he should use the straight horn of the mountain goats, which our Mishnah does not explain uh, what the Tanakhama thinks about what needs to be used for Yovel. So that we don't know. What we know is that definitely Rabbi Yehuda is disagreeing with Tanakhama about what needs to be blown on Rosh Hashanah. Now the Gemara says, Amar Levi, Mitzvah Shal Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippurim that the Mitzvah on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is to use bent, bent Shofarot, which means to say of a ram's horn, V'shal Kol Hashanah B'Pshutin. On the fast days, where any other time that we blow Shofar during the year, they use Pshutim, they use the straight ones. Now here, you have what seems to be something that doesn't fit with uh, either opinion, because according to the Tanakh, Amar Rosh Hashanah was the straight one, and the fast day was the curved one, right? This is saying Rosh Hashanah is the curved one, Right? And also Yom Kippur is the curved one, which according to our Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda said that, uh, t- talked about Rosh Hashanah and, uh, and Yovel being, he said that Rosh Hashanah had to be with the curved and Yovel, which is Yom Kippur, had to be with the straight one. So, uh, that would not be in accordance with what Levi is saying here. Levi is saying that there's a curved shofar for Yom Kippur of Yovel and our, neither the Tanakhama nor Rabbi Yehuda seem to agree with that. Now the Gemara says, doesn't it say that for Rosh Hashanah you have to use a straight horn of a mountain goat? Rabbi Levi is following a different opinion. Rabbi Levi has a different view. As it says in a Brita, but actually 
On the side, it says it should say, Kirebi Yehuda Ditnan. That he, he holds like Rabbi Yehuda, as it says in the Mishnah, not the Tanya, Rabbi Yehuda, we have a lot of Yerilim. That's just what we read in our Mishnah. That Rabbi Yehuda says in Rosh Hashanah, you use the curved shofar. And on the Yom Kippur of the Ophel, you use the straight one. Why didn't he just say that? Because Rabbi Yehuda. So you see that he doesn't fully agree with Rabbi Yehuda. That's why we can't just say that Rabbi Yehuda. Because actually, he doesn't hold like Rabbi Yehuda completely because he says on the Ovel you use a curved also. And Rabbi Yehuda says it's straight, right? So therefore, over there, uh, you, so if we said that we would think that even on the Ovel of the Yom Keeper of the Ovel, you use a, a straight shofar. Therefore, it comes to tell you that no, Rabbi Levi is disagreeing about Rosh Hashanah. He's agreeing with Rabbi Yehuda about Rosh Hashanah that needs curved, but he continue, he considers Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur of the Ovel to have a Gzara between them, to learn from each other, to be identical to one another, and therefore the uh, fact that we know that Rosh Hashanah has to be with a curved ram's horn, we're also going to conclude that Yom Kippur of Yovel has to be with a curved ram's horn, and that's the, that's Le, Rabbi Levi's position, whereas Rabbi Yudad sounds like holds that there is no equation between Rosh Hashanah and the Yom Kippur of Yovel, because it says Rosh Hashanah has curved and Yom Kippur of Yovel has straight. Now, the question is, what exactly is the machlogat between them? That one view says like this. Rabbi Yudha says, look, on Rosh Hashanah, the more you bend yourself, the more you humble yourself, the better you are. On Yom Kippur, the more you stretch yourself out to reach higher levels, the, the better you are. So on Rosh Hashanah, we want to humble you, your tefillot facing downwards, you're remembering Akedat Yitzchak, and remembering how we have to subjugate ourselves to the will of God. And on Yom Kippur, straightness is better, because straightness means reaching up, yearning to connect to Hashem, lifting ourselves up to connect to Hashem. That's more appropriate to Yom Kippur, according to uh, Rabbi Yehuda. But, more of Rosh Hashanah, our Tanakama has the opposite. He says in Rosh Hashanah, it's better to stretch yourself out, to, to raise yourself up, to have a straight shofar. On fast days, we use a bent shofar because you're supposed to be humbling yourself and feeling uh, lower. And as she says that... Um, he says, From the book of Echad, says, I lift myself up, my heart up to God. So that, therefore, according to the Tanakhama of our Mishnah, for Rosh Hashanah, you have straight because it's Tfilahu, because it's like prayer on Rosh Hashanah. It has to be straight up. And also Yom Kippurim of the Yovel. Since it's made with the Gzera Shava between the two of them, they should be, both of them straight. That uh, when it comes to Taniyot, actually the way Rashi learns it is we don't really care. So therefore we do Kfufin just to make it different. We make it bent just to make it different from the uh, the way that we do it every other time. And Rabbi Levi, so Rabbi Levi says, look, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, I agree with Rabbi Yehuda that for prayer, you don't want a straight shofar, you want a bent shofar because you should be bending yourself, humbling yourself. On Yom Kippur, I say there's a Gzerah Shavah, so therefore it has to be the same and it's going to end up having to be bent also. When it comes to Yovel, there he says, that Yom Kippurim Tzvali the Shavei Yovel Rosh Hashanah. So since there's a Gzera Shavah between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur of Yovel, it's going to be the same, right? Kerabanan Ilgach Tavay Obayinan Tufin. You're going to have to have both of them bent. <clears throat> In other words, the Tanakh Kama says Rosh Hashanah 
and Yom Kippurim of the Yovel, Yovel have a Gzera uh, between them for it to be straight. Rabbi Levi agrees that there's a Gzera between them, but says that the Rosh Hashanah should be bent, not straight, and therefore so should the Shofar of Yom Kippur of the Yovel be bent and not straight. Whereas, according to uh, what we have in our Gemara, it says that the reason why in fast days you have a bent one, uh, according to the Chachamim, is because it is going to, you know, you should humble yourself. Actually, it doesn't seem that Rashi had that uh, idea because Rashi says that, um, Rashi says that the reason why the, um, why the, uh, the Ta'anit, um, the Ta'anit, Shofar should be bent is not because of any spiritual reason. It's just because it should be different than Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur of the Ovel where it is straight. So basically, in the end, we have these different opinions. Um, the halacha is that we use a bent shofar of a ram's horn, right? And then we do that also on Yom Kippurim of the Ovel as well. Um, the, uh, the Tosafot speaks about whether this preference for a male, uh, for a ram's horn, uh, is there, is ma'akev or not. The Tosafot here in the very long Tosafot that says Shaliyail Pashut basically concludes that it is ma'akev, which, it, but he goes through a long twisting process of getting to that point. The Rambam also says it's ma'akev. It must be a ram's horn. And it's very controversial because most of the Rishonim disagree and say that at least bidiyavad, if, if some say even the Chathila, you could use the goat's, uh, straight horn. This is all drash, what's preferable, but really, uh, this is just talking about what's preferred and not what's necessary, and therefore you could use a straight horn uh, of a uh, of a goat on Rosh Hashanah as well. Even the chatchila, some say some people people say it's just the best of the best to use a ram's horn, and but you could use a goat's uh, horn. Some say no, it's really the chatchila. Ideally, you should use a ram's horn, but if you don't have any other choice, uh, goat's horn is okay. And then you have the opinion of the Tosafot and the Rambam that any. Thing besides a ram's horn is totally unacceptable, even bidiyavad for the blowing of the shofar. That is not what the Shulchan Aruch rules. Shulchan Aruch rules for the middle position that you should try for a ram's horn. But if you did it with a goat's horn, even the chatchila, you could do it and you and you fill the mitzvah. Rashi and the Rambam, I'm sorry, Tosafot and the Rambam disagree with that. They say that it's ma'akev even bidiyavad if you don't have a ram's horn for Rosh Hashanah.